delighted to be here. Seems like I've been here before. It's always good to be here at Mount Olympus. I'm sure you'll be glad to have Pastor Phil back next week after he's been gone, what, six weeks, I think, something like that, seven weeks? It's been a while since he was here, and I've uh, been, you've been seeing, I've been snatching glimpses of what's going on over there through his blog and Nancy's pictures on Facebook. Been very interesting to see what they're learning and sharing uh, with us when he was there. Well, he didn't come to hear me talk about their travels. Uh, I'm here to share in the series that Phil set up about uh, uh, this speaks to me. So as we begin that, uh, I'm, I'm going to read the scripture as a part of the sermon. So I'm not going to do it ahead of time. And uh, let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When Pastor Phil contacted me last spring and asked me to be one of the preachers in this series, favorite passages in the Bible, this speaks to me, that sort of thing, uh, I was hard-pressed to pick a particular passage, a particular set of verses, in a particular book of the Bible. You all know, of course, that the Bible is more than just a book. It's actually a library of 66 books. 27 in the New Testament, 39 in the Old. And it contains all kinds of writing. There's history, law, poetry, wisdom, prophecy, gospel, letters, and apocalyptic writings, and some others. Different parts have spoken to me powerfully over the years of my life and ministry. The passage I've chosen to share from this morning captures the overall highest priority of my life in service for Jesus Christ. So let me tell you about Acts 1 to 11 and why it is significant to me, why it speaks to me. Its significance has to do with the word witness, the witnesses in verse 8. But before we get to that, let me just tell you about a story, uh, tell you a story of something that happened to me one afternoon in San Bernardino, California. San Bernardino is where Connie and I spent the next five years after I left here as pastor and we moved from Salt Lake City. We lived in San Bernardino and my office was there. I had responsibility as the executive presbyter of the Presbyterian Riverside for 33 Presbyterian congregations in San Bernardino and Riverside counties in Southern California. And I was often away from San Bernardino carrying out those responsibilities. This particular afternoon, I had just come off the freeway and was at a stoplight waiting to cross a major street when I saw and heard something quite startling. I was the first in the line of cars call on a street called H Street. It was the traffic going by was on was on uh, Highland Avenue. Highland Avenue was a major artery in San Bernardino. A car approaching the intersection from the opposite direction where I was, and, and the red light had been red for quite a long time, just went right on into the intersection, red light or nothing. And a car coming down Highland hit that car right in front of me. Fortunately, if it had been the other one hitting, it would have gone right into me. 
but fortunately the one that hit him, he was coming this way and it hit him and they both went that way. And I wasn't, uh, my car wasn't fast enough, was I. But I, uh, I vividly remember, vividly remember what I saw and heard to this day. Now, I was never called up or subpoenaed to be a witness to testify to what happened, so I don't know what the insurance company really thought of that, I guess. But, you know, this is what a witness does, is it not? A witness is a person who tells what they've seen and heard. That's usually what witnesses do. Sometimes they tell out of their knowledge, sometimes out of their experience. In general, like an expert witness on the stand at a trial, for example. But usually, witnesses tell what they've seen and what they've heard. And in the scripture reading which I chose for today, Jesus, in a sense, subpoenaed his followers, his disciples, his apostles, to be witnesses for him, to testify about him. Now, I'm not going to read the entire passage. I'm just going to focus on verses 4 through 9 for our consideration today. One, um, what this, this act, act chapter 1 is, is uh, of course, Acts, the book of Acts is Luke's seven, second volume. The first volume he wrote was what? The Gospel according to Luke. And in the second volume, he says, hey, I, I'm writing another letter. Um, I'm writing another book. And uh, to, uh, in the first book, I wrote about what all Jesus began to do and teach. In the second book, I'm, uh, I'm telling you what happened after that time. And then picking up in verse 4, it said, On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with the apostles, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time? going to restore the kingdom of it to Israel. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be by witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, before their very eyes, and a cloud hit them, hit him from their sight. And Jesus said that the Spirit would come in power upon the apostles and the other early believers so that they would be his witnesses. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Acts 2 tells us that 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended upon the 120 of them like the tongues of fire and the sounds of rushing wind. They immediately poured forth from the upper room where they had been meeting and praying into the temple grounds and began to witness and testify about Jesus Christ, what they had seen him do and what they had heard him say. Peter was the key witness that day. He always kind of got up in front. He was the first guy to do a lot of things. Peter was the key witness, and he got up and explained to everyone what was happening. His explanation became a sermon. And when it was all said and done, 3,000 people welcomed the gospel message that day and were baptized into Jesus Christ. This is astounding. The very city where just two months ago Jesus was crucified, 
been buried and resurrected, of course. This little band of 120 of his followers there in that city were joined by 3,000 new believers on the day of Pentecost. Just amazing. Imagine Mount Olympus exploding to 3,000 members in one, I mean, exploding by 3,000 more in one day. Can you imagine that? It's just hard to believe. We barely got 3,000 members who are Christians of all the Presbyterian churches in Utah put together. In fact, the church in Utah is not all that healthy today. And the church in the USA, not just Presbyterians, but all kinds of people. The church in the USA in my lifetime in ministry has been quite different. It's quite different than the one described in the book of Acts, chapter 1, and the rest of the book. On the whole, it has been fading and in decline since the 1960s. I was ordained in 1969, and I never imagined in those days that I was going to be serving my entire ministry in a declining church. There was no end in sight. The actual rate of decline is increasing. No end in sight. It's not ha- and it's happening to everyone. Even Southern Baptists who for years resisted that are now declining. They're the largest group of Protestants in our country. Even they're declining. Since my days in college, I've been deeply motivated to help the church have many effective witnesses to and for Jesus Christ. I was involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship here on the campus. You'll notice your offering today, part, at least some of it going to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship right now is We've had a practice for years, and uh, um, I actually was the founding president of this group here, way back, 40, nearly 50 years ago, and it's been a concern of mine ever since those days. Through these verses in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is calling us to be witnesses for him at our Jerusalem, and what's our Jerusalem, of course? This very valley right here. This is our Jerusalem. This is our our center point, and our Judea, which, of course, is more or less the whole state of Utah. And Samaria, one might say, is the rest of the United States. And the ends of the earth, well, we know what the ends of the earth are. The question we must ask ourselves is, we are called to be witnesses for Christ right now, right here, but how effective are we? What kind of witnesses are we? Every one, of us, every one of us is a witness for Christ. Every one of us who have identified with Christ are a witness. The question is, are we faithful and effective? Do we honor Christ or bring dishonor? Whatever we do as we're identified with Christ is witnessing. We don't normally uh, get called on the witness stands in trials for Christ. People did in the early church, and people still in various parts of the world are called into various places. Called into account of why they were standing up for Christ. In fact, in the 20th century, the last century, more people were killed or executed for being followers of Christ than all the previous centuries put together. It still happens, friends. Jesus has subpoenaed all of us to be witnesses for him, but witnesses in our daily lives, witnesses to each other while we're here, witnesses out there most of the time. We spend most of the time every day. He said, you will be white witnesses. Not you can be white witnesses if you want to be, but you don't really have to. 
have no choice if we commit ourselves, if we follow us to Jesus Christ, if we say we're Christians. The only question is, are we good and effective witnesses? Like the apostles in the book of Acts were. Well, how can we answer? How can we know the answer to this question? Well, let, let me just tell a story to kind of illustrate this. Uh, last month, Connie and I went up to visit our daughter, Sarah. Many of you remember Sarah. She lives up in the state of Washington. And by the way, her younger daughter, who just turned 12, has a female lead in a musical play up there in the, uh, that area. The musical is Shrek. And it's actually the first time it had always been tied up. Disney Productions put it together and was on Broadway for quite a while. Then it went to some Broadway touring companies. And, uh, and then it was released June 1st, just two and a half months ago, for use by regional theaters and that sort of thing. Well, uh, Kendall, our 12-year-old granddaughter, auditioned just for being in the play. And she was picked to be Fiona, the female lead. She did a great job. So that's why we're heading up there to see all that. But we stopped on the way and visited a friend of ours who we got to know in Richfield when I first served. And we spent an overnight with her and we were to see and her father and, and two sisters, had a nice time visiting with them. And, and she reminded me as we were talking about old times she, by the way, spent her senior year in high school from October through May with us in our house because her dad got transferred to another place with the Forest Service up to Wenatchee, Washington, where she still lives and where he still lives. Uh, and uh, she said, I'm not going my senior year. And uh, so they arranged to have us keep her. Anyway, we were visiting with her. She's now 57, a little bit older than she was back in those days. Been working with as a nurse for decades. Anyway, we're talking about old times. She reminded me of a friend that uh, she had and still keeps in touch with down in, in, uh, in, uh, in Richfield. She keeps, still keeps in touch with her. This friend's name Becky. Some of you have heard this story before. It all refreshed your memory. But Becky was a girl from the predominant religion. She just came to, uh, not, not active to speak of, and she came with her friend, who was our friend, Don, to youth group at our church. Just came a few times off and on for about a year. And then she just kind of faded away, and I didn't know what happened to her. And uh, she was still friends with Don and other girls, but turned out, and Don was filling me in this last time, just last month, it turned out that she ended up getting pregnant, I think it was junior year, and dropped out of school. Her father and mother went through a pretty tenacious divorce. Her father married a, a younger, more beautiful widow in town, and that was hard on her out. Her father was a prominent businessman in town. It wasn't, just wasn't done in the closet. And uh, it was just hard on her. Well, anyway, I lost track of her. I didn't, I didn't know about this stuff, about her being pregnant and all that stuff. Don was just telling me that when we were up there last month. But anyway, about uh, 15 years ago, I received an email from this woman. Her name is Becky. She said, Pastor Jeff, I just want to thank you that all those years ago, it was like in those days, 15 probably close to uh, 30 years before we were talking. So I just want to thank you for, for being who you were in Richfield for me. And I was just a little girl in the Mormon background, and, and, and you welcomed me because I was the leader. Richfield was a small church. And pastors ended up doing lots of things in small churches, and I was the youth leader. And uh, you just welcomed me. You welcomed others never asked me anything about my background, never said you had to do certain things to be here. You just welcomed me. And 
and she was friends with Don. She was sometimes in the house, and she'd seen us in our house, and uh, she, uh, she said, it just made such an impression on me about how, what I thought religion should be. And then she went her way and went her way, and then later on, she, she ended up in Denver area and ended up living near Columbine. And before all that happened, she, and the gnawing that was inside of her, she had finally given her life to Christ, found a church to be involved in, she was one of the key leaders in that church when Columbine happened. And their church building happened to be one of the main staging areas for dealing with that tragedy that happened there. And so on. She was, she was a single person, and she had some kids, and she was married, but it didn't work, and so on. And uh, Anyway, but she just wanted me to know that she was started on the road to faith that didn't bear fruit for many years, physically, but she wanted me to know what a role I'd played friends, that's what witness does. You don't know, you don't have a sign on saying, witness, witness, hey, I'll witness now, you know. It doesn't work that way. It's just who we are in Christ. As God shapes our character, as the Spirit fills us and uses us, that's what witness is. Whether it's good witnesses, effective witnesses, faithful witnesses, or poor and ineffective witnesses. Harry Ward Beecher, a great preacher in the 19th century, wisely said, if you want your neighbor to know what Christ will do for him or her, let the neighbor see what Christ has done for you. That's where it starts. We'll know we're effective witnesses if that is happening. We'll know we're effective witnesses if we have these opportunities to share, like I've talked about even if we don't know what the sharing will result in. And we'll know we're effective witnesses as a whole, as a church community. Not everybody has the gift of evangelism, but everyone is called to be a witness. If, as a whole, people are coming to Christ, get baptized, become followers of Christ, if all this happens, as it happened in the early church, we'll know we're effective witnesses. It has been a central passion of mine all these years as an ordained, an ordained pastor ministry. As you know, I'm now retired. Most of my life, to help churches today, even in my retirement, to be faithful and effective witnesses to Christ, 27, 26 and a half years were spent right here at Mount Olympus, as Ralph mentioned to start with. And, uh, and, and we did see people come to Christ here. When I was here, people were still coming to Christ here. It was just wonderful. Wonderful. But friends, I, I, I hate to disillusion you, or maybe malillusion you, Good, good, good view that there are a lot of people in this valley who still don't know Jesus Christ. There are, in my estimation, there's only about, oh, I would guess uh, 600,000 of them. That's all. There are a lot of people in this valley, in this country, in this world, reach with the good news of what God has done for them and all humankind of Jesus Christ. So please join me in working and praying that increasing numbers of us will be more effective and fruitful witnesses, including me, as we carry out his critique. Even in retirement, I keep working right now toward the day when at least Presbyterian churches throughout Utah, and that's the ones I have the most influence over, 
will be filled with both more mature Christians and brand new Christians, excited by the vibrancy of the life they share in Jesus Christ and spreading the good news of the gospel with joy and enthusiasm of the glory of God and the good of the people they meet. That's what happened in the book of Acts. That's why I chose this passage. That's what I pray and hope will continue to happen. Bow down in this word. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the great beginning the church had in those many centuries ago. And I pray now that as we move on in our lives in this particular place, that we will be effective and faithful and fruitful witnesses for that same Jesus Christ called the original band of apostles to be witnesses and then turn it over to them and to us in terms of your actual physical presence to carry on that witness. May we be faithful and effective. In his great name we pray. Amen. Now let us join our